Welcome to DocuTalks, a podcast about documentaries mostly from Netflix. Chelsea and Michelle may be from two different generations, but they both share a passion for talks of true crime, murder, and documentaries with flair. Join these chatty bitches while they dish the latest hot documentary on DocuTalks. Welcome to DocuTalks. We are starting season three, so this is so exciting. Definitely apologize for our break. We had quite a bit going on. Start with our warning that this is adult content. We may use some explicit language, um, so please be warned. So how was your summer, uh, well, your winter, our summer, Chelsea? Oh, it's just been crazy, like a really, really busy term for me so far. So while you were enjoying your nice summer breaks, I was slaving away at school, hoping that we wouldn't go into another lockdown. But um, so it's been just really up and down um, with COVID and everything and then having production this term. So it was a lot of doing production and then are we even going to be able to do production, but still trying to do it. And how are we going to do it? Um, But spring is officially here in full swing. I've been really enjoying my drive to work with all the baby cows and lambs. It's been really idyllic. Uh, Yeah, so just enjoying that now. How about you, Michelle? What's up with you? Well, our summer was, was quite good, but I actually found it quite hot this summer which I don't really necessarily have too much of an issue with the heat, but I don't have any central air, but I have a window air conditioner in my bedroom. So I felt like I spent a lot of time up in my bedroom trying to avoid the heat in the rest of the house. And I'm certainly really happy that um, COVID kind of, you know, subdued a bit near the beginning of the summer. So restaurants started opening up, you know, kind of, end of June, early July. So it was really exciting to go back to a restaurant, to tell you the truth. First, it was just the patio and then you could go inside. But I do worry they're going to shut down again with this possible second wave. And and um, mm-hmm. I also just want to mention that I watched Canadian Drag Race. Yeah. I'm so jealous. That, yeah, I thought that was pretty exciting. It was really good. Boy, those drag queens really put on a good competition when it came to the lip sync for your life. Oh, so I really wish we could get it on Netflix. Oh. Yes, I know. I hope one day they will. I, I don't know. Mm. It was good. It was really good. So this <laughs> season, we're starting with the documentary Minimalism. So what did you think about this one, Chelsea? Well, I thought that this was a very thought-provoking documentary with a good message and a lot of well-informed research discussions. However, I did think that they were trying to kind of stuff a bit too much into it. Some parts were a bit incongruous or they were just trying to showcase as many minimalism styles as possible, along with Mm. a lot of other messages. I do agree that this lifestyle that this is a lifestyle we need to be more conscious of working towards. As a society, we need to have more sustainable, conscious consumerism. And this documentary was a great way to introduce it with all the added pressure or guilt of something like Marie Kondo. (laughs) (laughs) Marie Kondo, she's so popular. But I I don't sort of, Marie Kondo is somewhat minimalism in a way, but to me, she's a lot more about organizing than a focus on minimalism, really. I know, but she doesn't like you having a lot of stuff. (laughs) 
and it's like you don't need books you don't need these things and I'm just what? like yes Marie I need my books yeah it is it is a, it definitely is but it's the focus usually is a bit well in the show is a little bit more about organizing but also trying to look at do you need this to some extent behind it right mm-hmm. um but I, re- I really liked it because I really liked hearing Josh and Ryan's journey to minimalism and their desire to share this message. They're obviously very passionate about, about it. And I think it just highlighted so much the consumerism in our society and just this pressure to keep up with other people and buying things and, and all these home improvement shows we have and making you feel like your home isn't good enough if it's not like a show home on display. And I think this show just confirms that you really don't need that. It's not about having a show home. It's more about lifestyle and quality of life than having a show home. So let's start a little bit with reviewing Josh and Ryan's stories just a bit. So I found it really interesting that they both grew up in abusive households and money was an issue. And luckily, they were both able to get an education because that makes such a difference coming from that background and became very successful in their business from from the sounds of it. But they really bought into this American dream of a big house and owning things but found that they weren't happy, which led them to minimalism. But I can see how when you're growing up poor and, you know, money was always tight and they didn't have things, I could see how their idea of the American dream was owning this house you would see in a magazine and owning things that you see on commercials or again in magazines or on social media. So I totally get why they went down that path because most people do go down that path. Oh, I could really relate to their desire to fill with the de- their desire to fill their lives with stuff and the idea of being the perfect adult was to have all of the right things and make sure you find your aesthetic, consume more. I found myself doing this in my early 20s once I was living independently. I just thought that that's what it meant to be an adult do all the right things. I had to have the right stuff. And I was going to entertain while I needed to have things that I would entertain with. And my house had to be decorated right. And I needed, you know, the right rug. And uh, and I just found myself consuming and consuming and consuming. And I, you know, I grew up with a home that was very nice, very well curated, very well decorated. My mom's an incredible decorator. And she always had that perfect magazine home. So like I grew up with the expectation that that's what your home looks like. But really, is that possible when you are just starting out or, you know, you're not necessarily financially stable? So then you put yourself into this crazy debt cyclone kind of thing. So, yeah, it definitely we get caught up in chasing that American dream because we want everyone to think we're doing well. And how will people think we're doing well? Well, we have all the right stuff. It's so, so true, right? I, and I think, you know, your mom's always a good example because she always has had a lovely home. And and sometimes not always. necessarily that she's a, like she's spent a lot of money on her home. She just has managed to do it pretty well and budget conscious about the whole thing also. But I always think whenever your mom comes to my home, I'm sure she's like, oh, my goodness, Michelle, like, how do you live like this? And, and you know, you make money, you should be buying nicer things. <laughs> 
but to me I'm all about the traveling I'm not so much about having like the most fantastic looking couch or things that all match and organize and look good together like and it's more bit more functional although I I have too much stuff but it's not necessarily a show home that's for sure Exactly. So I did love that this documentary uh, really spent a lot of time discussing the impact of advertising and selling the American dream. Yeah. So the idea of the American dream has been going on for so long, you know, the 40s, even earlier than that, Mm -hmm. probably. And I just find it comical that we hold on so tightly to this ideal, yet the type of lives we live and the social expectations and aspirations we have are so far different than those that were around when it came to be a thing. So the fact that we're still striving so hard for this just doesn't make any sense to me anymore, especially since we don't even live in that lifestyle. Like most people live in apartments. Most people are are living completely different lives. So why are we so obsessed with that white picket fence and that perfect show home with the 2.5 centimeter long grass that's perfectly manicured? Like, I don't, it's just crazy that we keep pushing that. But I blame a lot of that on these, you know, HGTV, you know, flip this house, Mm -hmm. you know, redecoration shows that really push that home looking aesthetic and what your house should look like. Yeah. And I guess I don't watch any of those shows. I don't have access to that. So for me, I'm like, it doesn't even register and I don't understand people's obsession with it whatsoever. I do not get it. But I do find that with the introduction of mass production from China, like we really lost that the artisanal products, those really well-made, beautiful products from people who actually crafted things. And we lost that connection. Like you, you don't even know where things are coming from, what they're made of. It's just all shit. You know, like we've lost a lot of craftsmanship and we've lost a lot of people who, you know, were were making real things like furniture used to be made by someone. And now it's just bought at Ikea. So the idea that we can produce things quickly and cheaply has just completely changed what everyone's homes look like and the types of things that they have in their homes. It's true, though, isn't it? Because I think years ago, it even like my parents' generation, you would buy something and you would have it for a long time. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be replacing your couch every couple of years or your bed every couple of years. You would buy good quality furniture and probably have it for life. You know, you'd buy your nice dining room table and probably never, ever replace that dining room table. Right. Yeah. But it's not the way anymore. No, it's not. And I think about it when I moved into my home I currently have. And also just like my mentality is buy things that are going to last because why would you want to keep replacing them? But like we realized we need to set up a workspace, especially um, this year. And I was so happy because when COVID hit, like we both had to work from home. So we were looking for a desk. We ended up having to get this disgusting wood composite crap desk that's just so ugly to even look at it's practically made of plastic but the options on the market were so few and then you know if you wanted anything that was actually really wood or half decent then you were looking at paying almost a thousand dollars for a desk I just wanted a nice desk (laughs) I do find we're almost kind of in a renaissance right now where 
with COVID, all these amazing artisans and craft people like the Etsy people of the world or those people who are making pottery and things like that, like there's been a big resurgence of those people coming out and selling their their stuff in a different way. And a lot of people are more inclined to move towards handcrafted, locally made things to help support those people who are struggling during um, during these times and also just a re- realization like we can't be shipping internationally in some cases you know my, where I live in New Zealand we weren't allowed to buy internationally or even locally for a long time during lockdown so people started buying from local artisans or local crafters instead of going to you know Kmart and buying things and that I think has something I really hope continues. I agree with you. I think that was a big push during COVID with shop local, shop local and Mm -hmm. trying to support our local businesses to make sure that they stayed afloat during COVID. And I believe like this is part of the issue with this, you know, consumerism lifestyle is once Mm -hmm. we started getting cheap imports from China that allowed you to be able to buy new things all the time, whereas people wouldn't have been able to afford it before. And, but I also think we have to think about at what cost are we getting these things for cheap? Because now Mm -hmm. we're abusing people in other countries that haven't gone through labor disputes that we had in like the twenties and thirties here that, you know, workers striking and fighting for their rights and trying to get better working conditions you know, that's what it's like now in China. I've read a few books about abusive laborers in China, and it's awful. And then mm-hmm. there's also the whole child labor issues in other countries, too, that have just allow us to have these cheap products. And yeah, it was China back in the 90s, but now it's moved. Like, they're in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. There's always going to be the next China And if we don't do something to stop this, then they're just going to continue to run through all these unstable, low GDP countries and take advantage of them. You know, there's always going to be someone to take advantage of. And people don't realize that. I don't know. And with the consumerism came, you know, that the trope of women spending all their time at Target. And that's what was expected. And a good woman goes and shops all the time and is prepared for every single season and having all the right decorations and you know yeah like the idea that you should be going shopping every single day or you should be spending at least a hundred to two hundred dollars every time you go out to like home sense or target or mm-hmm. walmart you know like i just i think that's so freaking ridiculous i hate that we have bought into that idea and that has become the expectation Well, and part of it is because we also live in bigger houses that we have bigger houses to fill. You know, when I think of my my dad, him growing up in a house um, of five, five in his family, and they lived in a small house, like nobody had their own bedroom, they didn't have a ton of clothes. And both my parents talk about that all the time, like how they grew up and Mm. the size of their houses compared to now. And I think that's something to think about. And they talk about that in this documentary. So I love Frank quote was, we are living our life depending on the space that we got rather than creating our space to fit our lives. And I think it's so true. I mean, I'm quite fascinated by the tiny living movement 
as an environmentalist, I would love to do this, but I know I love my things too much and I wouldn't be able to live in a tiny house and people laugh at me when I say that I would love to. But I think it's true that we all live in these big houses and we don't need these big houses. Yes, it's very much a North America thing. Like, I always have such culture shock about that when I come home. Mm -hmm. Um, In New Zealand, you don't see that. I have, I, I teach children that are, you know, there's seven children in a family, six children in a family. They're living in a three bedroom home. You know, you don't see those massive sprawling homes here. So I do love that. And also I lived in Asia for a long time and you know what it's like there, guys. Yeah. I love that you want to live in a tiny home. So it's just so funny. I know. People laugh at me when I talk about it. I'm like, I'd love to live in a tiny house. They're like, okay, yeah, Michelle. Yeah, it would never work. Can go live in them together. It's so funny. We watched the documentary together and afterwards he's like, so tiny home. And I loved the houses we saw. I did. I I just thought those apartments were incredible, but I'm not a huge tiny house fan. I just, I don't want to live in someone's garden, like garden shed that literally doesn't even look big enough to fit a queen size bed. Just to say I live in a tiny home. I have lived in spaces that are on average 350 square feet, maybe 400 if I'm lucky. And for me, that is a great amount of space. I don't need a tiny garden shed. I'm okay with being in a home that's under 500 square feet. I have never had the luxury of having such an innovative space, though, while I lived in a place that small. I And it made me really think about it. Like, I was watching that, and I'm just like, that would be so expensive to do. How are they affording to have these incredible moving walls and Murphy beds that are seamlessly fitting into your into your walls and all these push out things and and tracking like you could move certain dividers and just like ah oh, all I could think was this is another way to have an elite tiny home movement and then the poor people with their shitty little garden shed tiny homes. Well, it's true, though. You've got a really good point. Like these homes are not necessarily going to be cheap to renovate them and set them up the way that they showed us in this documentary. And and I do like watching some of these YouTube videos where they take these spaces and convert them and have these moving walls or various ways of making their 350 square foot apartment functional. You know, so it's it is for people who have enough money to pay to renovate them like that, which is not going to be the average person, right? So you've got a good point there. What I'm curious, though, is how the people in the tiny homes have managed during COVID, right? Because that's, if you're working from home and you've got two of you living in that tiny space together for months and, you know, beginning of COVID, like people weren't even going out other than just to do grocery shopping or get Mm -hmm. gas like that's it so that's a lot of time together at least in a bigger house I can be in one room my husband can be in another room I've we've got space but if you if you're in a small house and you're on top of each other all the time I can't imagine how difficult that would be and if you've got kids in there Mm -hmm. even more yeah this is the biggest place I've ever lived in and it's still Um, I think we only have a thousand square feet of living space. I don't even, yeah, probably that's about it. 
it feels massive to me. But at one point we did have three people living here because we have a Mm -hmm. two bedroom. We have two bedrooms, a living room. That is our kitchen as well. So it's a living room kitchen. And our roommate had moved back to Canada in January. So we were very lucky that during lockdown we had a spare bedroom. Yeah. And all I could think of is, you know, we we live in what I think is a large place. <laughs> for us, it's it's large. But for me, I'm just like we had the perfect amount of space that we could work in a separate bedroom and then have the living room and then have a breakout space if we needed to. And all I could think of is like, seriously, if we were in if we had a roommate even at this time, like someone would have gotten murdered 100 <laughs> percent because we don't even have a backyard. I'm very curious to hear from listeners their experience with COVID if they live in a smaller space and how mm-hmm. did that go? I, I'm oh, for sure. very curious about that because I do think people, even in the best of relationships, you need some space and some time to yourself and and maybe you have a partner that can respect that easily. But I just I just think it'd be interesting to hear what everybody's experience was like living in a smaller space. And I also want to hear what what they would consider their ideal space, especially if it was a, a smaller space. Like, are you a tiny house kind of person like Michelle? Or would you like a smaller space that's really modern? Or for me, like my ideal space is a loft, um, but like a double stacked loft. So you have really, really high ceilings and you've got your loft bedroom above and then your living area and kitchen area underneath. That was my mm-hmm. favorite place to live. It was only 350 square feet, but because I had 16 foot ceilings, it just made it feel so big. Mm-hmm. And I, it was the most functional space I ever lived in. And I felt like I lived in a much bigger place than I did. Right. So right. yeah, let's, let's hear from you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so they also had on this documentary So one of my favorite people in this documentary, besides Josh and Ryan, was Juliet, who was The Economist. I thought this woman was amazing. I thought she made excellent points, and I really liked her thoughts on fashion and the idea that everything in the home has become fashion, like we were talking about, and how quick we are to throw things away for the latest fads and the impact that has on our environment. I hadn't. I I have thought about that, but she just really brought it all to light. Oh, my gosh. For me, I strongly believe that fast fashion is honestly ruining not only the environment, but the concept of fashion in general. I think it is the worst thing in the world. I was so glad that they discussed it and pointed blatant fingers at the companies like Forever 21 and H&M. R.I.P. Forever 21. So glad you're gone. (laughs) (laughs) I find because of this obsession with fast fashion, not only are we left with pretty shittily made clothes, but it also has such a narrow look at fashion based solely on what is trendy at that time from a very specific group of individuals. So I'm dying for us to move towards an industry that makes clothing from real natural fibers that, you know, last more than one wash, things that are made beautifully like bring back the beautiful tailored clothes that you can actually wear for 10 years and you know are timeless and just I really miss 
the the workmanship and the beautifully made clothing it's so hard to find garments even you know um even when you do buy more expensive things that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to last a long time or that it's made of nice natural fibers you have to be a very informed consumer I, I definitely agree with you there. I have bought some cheap stuff that has lasted me for many, many years. And I bought more expensive stuff that did not last me long, which really pisses me off. I found this really fascinating when I came home from backpacking and living in Asia in 2017. I was trying to find secondhand clothes while waiting for my suitcases to arrive. And it was fall and winter. I had virtually no clothing because I, like Josh and Ryan, even though I was traveling for 12 months throughout the whole entire year in several different seasons, I only had about 15 to 20 items of clothing and that was it. And I have to say, by the time I got back to Canada, most of that clothing was no longer even functioning anymore. (laughs) Like it was dead. So I had my suitcases sent from Asia to Canada because I I was traveling, so I couldn't bring them over with me. And they were quite late arriving and I didn't have anything to wear. So I was like, okay, you know what? I want to get some secondhand clothing because I was conscious of the fact that I didn't want to support fast fashion and I wanted something more sustainable and environmentally friendly. I went to a few secondhand shops and not only were the options deplorable, like absolutely the worst options ever, but they were double the price that I would find and pay it for items like at Old Navy for brand new things. I just could not get over that. So we don't even, we're not even living in a society that supports secondhand clothing or that allows for things to be bought sustainably and cheaply or makes it you know, a viable option. Like why would you buy used when you could go buy exactly what you want for $3 at Kmart or Old Navy or Target, you know, like, it's just crazy to me, Michelle. Well, it is. It really is. Because I've gone into the secondhand shops because I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to go look in the secondhand shops to find something because I also want to be kind of environmentally conscious and Hmm. not be, you know, buying so many new things because I feel like we're such consumers. But what I find, the same as you, you go in there and the prices can almost be more than buying them new. Or you buy them in a secondhand shop and they're maybe like $2 cheaper, but not as nice. And it's kind of, okay, why am I paying this much money? But I find, you know, you have to be careful about some of these secondhand shops because they're not all charity shops. Some of them are for profit businesses. So they don't necessarily have the prices so cheap because they are making a profit at the end of the day. Sometimes they sort of disguise themselves as a charity, but really Mm -hmm. they're, you know, donate to charity, but really they are for profit. So you have to be careful with that kind of stuff, but it is crazy. Just the amount of money we spend on clothing every year. Oh yeah. Like, so in New Zealand right now, the secondhand shops that are, are like they're high end secondhand shops that sell like really nice stuff that's been lightly worn or used has become a huge phenomenon. And it's like, I go in there and I'm just like, cool. So I can barely afford to even shop here. Like I could go buy from the actual brands for almost the same prices that you're selling your stuff for. Mm -hmm. So it's not even giving me any incentive. Oh, I don't know. It's just, it's crazy. 
So you were like the homeless traveler, Colin. I was just about to say that. I was like, send me and Colin, hey. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I hated that he called himself the homeless traveler. I hated that. I thought that was so pretentious and douchebaggy. Uh, So for me, it did really push this image that sometimes he might sleep on the streets when it was abundantly clear that he was pretty polished and doing well. Also, he mentioned that he often rents out places while traveling. It didn't look like he was frequenting the same $2 hostels that I was in Southeast Asia, let me tell you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He really hated that he presented himself with that kind of image. I was just like... You're you kind of seem like a douchey frat boy who sleeps in these like multi-million dollar mansions that your friends own and you say you're homeless. I didn't necessarily get that impression of him. I think it was just more that he doesn't have a permanent place to live. But I hate when people call themselves homeless because of that. Like I would never say I'm homeless because I don't have a permanent residence. So I was a bit torn with him of all the people we met in the documentary. He was the least likable for me. And I also found his story to be the most improbable for most people to actually duplicate. I don't know. Maybe I'm being harsh, but without a a seriously successful online presence and, and a lot of connections, it's very difficult to live a life of minimalism like his. Like I said, I backpacked for a year through Southeast Asia and I wasn't doing it like with no money or anything like that. But it's really hard to live and travel and not look like a homeless loser. (laughs) I think you're right. Like it's not easy to do his type of lifestyle. Right. Hmm. So he obviously must've had a lot of connections that he was able to get this blog off the ground and running and making money. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of people on YouTube like that. So you see people who are travel bloggers that are, you know, showing various places they stay and what they're like, which are interesting to watch. And then the other thing I've noticed a lot on YouTube is these people who are living in their car. So they had this one lady who was living like in a Mercedes Benz van. And I'm thinking, okay, why are you living in a van that probably costs like, I don't even know how much that costs. Like $40,000 vans. Like, Like it's a lot of of money. So why are you living in this expensive van? Like, that's not really being homeless living in a van, right? Hmm. So I found that he was inspirational with his story. But like you said, not easy to put in practice. But I'll tell you, it's something I've always wanted you to put into practice. Yes, but I have tried. And let's just put it this way. I fucking hate blogs. I hate reading blogs. <laughs> I hate bloggers. I hate influencers. Like, so it's just funny because I have lived a very similar life. But like, I just, I can't sit down and like, plug myself like that. I don't, I find it so narcissistic. And also like half the time, I don't know. I just feel it's, it, it reeks of a lot of privilege in a lot of ways for me. So I, as much as Michelle wishes I could be that person, I can't. <laughs> so true. Oh, so true. But I have to say, uh, I love my secret, my secret video fetish is watching people convert fans into um, caravans that they live in permanently. That oh. is one of my favorite things and like my life goal is to have a caravan 
my partner is totally going to renovate us a caravan one day. <laughs> my dream. I don't want to live there permanently, but I would love to have um, have it. So like I'm a teacher and then we have a couple months a year we could travel around and live in the caravan and then go back and and, and live in our house. <laughs> <laughs> But you yeah, know, the other true. other thing that Juliet mentions is advertising and how much advertising has changed over the years. I found that, again, something that when she talked about it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. But I hadn't really thought about it so much anymore um, and how much it is just everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Oh, Michelle, let me tell you. So, guys, I know I always talk about being a teacher, but it's insane. The kids are saturated in advertisement, saturated. You don't realize how much exposure there is until you have to sit with kids for eight hours a day. Okay, let me tell you, they know every commercial off by heart because they watch YouTube all the time. So they know every YouTube commercial. They can quote all the jingles. I... Like they always know all the ads and upcoming products and they're so concerned about my own consumerism. Like I am pressured by my class. They judge me about what car I drive, what phone I have, the clothing I wear, all because of this exposure. And like I'm constantly berated by my students about, oh, you know, like, miss, why don't you have the newest iPhone? Like your phone's so crap. And I'm just like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me tell you, the company that makes my phone makes the Samsung phones. It's the exact same as the Samsung phone, except for, you know, I paid $200 for it brand new. And the new Samsung phone is retailing for $1,400 in New Zealand. So Mm -hmm. just think about that, honey. And like, I drive a fuel efficient small vehicle because I have to commute to work. And also we love doing road trips. Why would I have a huge gas guzzling vehicle and so they're constantly like well why don't you have this car and why do you have an old car why don't you have a new car and it's just it's ridiculous how influenced the students are and like these students aren't consuming these products they're not old enough to be driving but yet they're concerned about what I'm driving and they're concerned about what their family's driving it's interesting because when I was growing up I mean, I watched quite a bit of TV, but there wasn't 24-7 children's programming growing up. You Mm -hmm. watched your Saturday morning cartoons and then it was done. There was nothing worth watching after that. So you always went out and played with your friends and did whatever because there was nothing to watch on TV. But now they have 24-7. So you can just constantly be watching TV as a child where you can get all this advertising. And I think that's part of the reason advertising has become more catered to kids because they are on there watching TV more than they ever were when I was growing up. Well, and it's not even just TV. It's YouTube. It's social media. It's TikTok. It's Instagram. Mm -hmm. It's all of those things. Like, seriously, I don't know, because... Most of my students would say they don't watch a lot of TV, but I know they spend eight hours in it on YouTube, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or eight like hours on Instagram, hours on social media. So and the impact of social media, Michelle, what do you yeah. think? I think it's incredible how much 
advertisers have tapped into social media and using famous people for promoting and selling products. And we've talked about this before on this podcast. And they're they're selling their lifestyle online and making people feel inadequate because they don't have that lifestyle, but also giving the message that like, if you're going to have a great life, this is the lifestyle you should be living. And this is the bag you should have and the clothes you should have and the home you should have and the dog you should have and everything. Oh, it's crazy. Social media is the devil. Like, Mm. I really have to say that I've been pretty good about being a minimalist in some ways, but with my increased involvement in social media and also my increased television intake, because this is the first time I've had a TV in seven years where I've actually watched a lot of television and I've just been sucked back into materialism. Honestly, like I'm constantly thinking, oh, do I need that? Like, I really like that jacket. I've seen the character wearing it 12 times. Like, maybe I should get a jacket like that. Or, oh, they have this in their house. Maybe I, you know, just like, it's insane to me that honestly, with my increased social media exposure, that I have really been having to fight those materialistic impulses. And thankfully, I'm not in a position where it makes sense to consume copiously. And also, I don't live in a country that offers anything worth consuming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But the desire is there. And this documentary really made me reflect on that and think about where it was coming from. And so I had a really big aha moment after watching the documentary about, oh, yeah, like, that's why I've been feeling this way. Maybe I need to cut back on my social media exposure. Maybe I need to cut back on, like, the things I'm watching and exposing myself to. I don't know. I also think there's just an issue of TV shows in general, especially because we have so much reality TV right now. And you see all these housewives living these glamorous lives and what it's like to be like that. And... A lot of these housewives aren't necessarily even all that rich. So they rent a house for like $10,000 a month and they're on this show. They don't even own the house. So there's kind of this fake perception of glamour that's on there. And I remember when Sex and the City came out and Carrie was living in New York. And the big thing was, you know, not that she had a rich lifestyle, but it's like, oh, you could go to New York and live like her. Even though she was not considered rich, to live her lifestyle still would have been a lot of money. And so it was a fake perception of how you could live on the cheap in New York, which really wasn't uh, uh, on the cheap, right? So it was interesting because there was more than one article about how much would it cost to live Carrie's lifestyle in New York City. Mm -hmm. Just her fashion alone, you would have been so Mm -hmm. broke. But no, I love that you mentioned the reality television stars because they mentioned that in the documentary and they mentioned Mm -hmm. the idea of these six figure earning television stars and it's like these people only make like a hundred thousand dollars a year and I'm just like no (laughs) no one making one hundred thousand dollars a year is capable of having that kind of lifestyle like yes they make a six figure income but it's probably closer to like five hundred thousand dollars a year than one hundred thousand dollars a year please yeah. Oh, my goodness. I was just like, n- no, no, no. These these housewives are they're not like mega rich, like you were saying, but they're not one hundred thousand dollar a year income rich. Like, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> that's ridiculous. So what did you think of the three thirty three project? Oh, 
<laughs> uh, yeah, never, ever, ever. Oh my God, no. I love my clothes. I have a very curated wardrobe, but I'm an extremely conscientious shopper. I own clothing purposefully and I always wear them to their maximum usefulness. I have clothing I've owned since I was in high school still. It still comes into my wardrobe. I still use it. I still fit into it. I always try to buy classic pieces that I know will come back into fashion or will never go out of fashion. And even if I might not wear it for an entire year, that doesn't mean I won't wear it again. I don't know. Like I have this beautiful black military jacket um, and I've had it for three years now. I didn't even wear it last year at all. But then this year I was like, hey, this jacket. And then I wore it every single day, almost, you know, mm. it's just for me, I, I just, I know if it's, if I'm going to, if I love the piece and I will eventually wear it again, just because I go a couple of months without wearing it doesn't mean I need to get rid of it. It might not make sense to a lot of people, but I don't know. It works for me. And I have a lot of clothing, I would say for myself, in comparison to the average woman, honestly, my wardrobe doesn't even come in comparison. <laughs> with it. Yeah. Yeah. Size wise. I couldn't do the 333 project. I would love to say I still have clothes from high school that I fit into, but I don't. But I have way <laughs> too many clothes. <laughs> but my my philosophy is I need like work clothes. I need casual clothes. I need seasonal clothes. I need my lounge clothes. I'm obsessed with pajamas. Like, so I feel like I need a lot of clothes for different occasions, which makes it accumulate more. So I definitely have too much, especially watching this documentary. And I'm just trying to limit how much I buy. It's very Mm -hmm. tempting when you're out shopping to say, like I was out shopping the other day and they had like a t-shirt on for 10 bucks. And I was like, oh, I like this t-shirt. But then I thought, you know what? I don't really need another one. I'm not going to buy another one. You know, it's... um. I'm trying to not buy as many clothes and I don't really want to throw away anything I have because I like all the clothes I have now. So I didn't want to buy a new one. And so I'm trying to be more conscious, especially of how many clothes I'm buying. Yes. And I, I am too. And I have to say, I do have lots of different clothes. Like I have really, a really unique wardrobe uh, as anyone who actually knows me would would know I'm kind of likened to Miss Frizzle <laughs> but it's like you can't always dress like Miss Frizzle so I have like my really crazy Miss Frizzle clothes but then I also have my really crazy like beautiful stuff that I love wearing and then my lounge clothes and I'm also really active okay I'm not really active guys I'm just moderately active <laughs> so I have like my hiking things and and it does add up and you can't like I'm sorry but I can't go hike in my ruffled tutu you know but I'll wear that to work even though I work at a hardcore rural school and I'm the only person not in gumboots okay <laughs> yeah it's, so it's I, interesting because it makes me think of you know, we're talking about these different clothes, you know, when I first watched documentary about tiny living, they were saying that it started in California where, you know, you don't have these great seasonal temperatures. So it's much easier to have a wardrobe that you'd wear kind of all year round. Whereas Mm -hmm. we need that like 
pre-season wardrobe. You know, we have to have summer, winter, and kind of spring, fall, right? So to get away with the same clothes all year, it's pretty hard because you need to have the warmer stuff for the winter Mm -hmm. and cooler stuff for the summer. So interesting. I've gotten really good at layering um, Mm because New Zealand is quite a bit warmer, but we do still have four seasons and there is a lot of rain. So Mm-hmm. I do try and think I'm like, okay, well, how can I bring this through to more seasons? And I try and I try and make sure it's like, well, can I layer it? Can I add something to it? Is it like, are the colors seasonless or is it a seasonless style? I've been thinking about stuff like that. I did. I do have to say anecdotally, um, right before watching this documentary, I had gone to one of the local stores because I was buying presents for people last weekend and I saw these awesome sunglasses and I went and I was like I've been thinking about these sunglasses all week and my thing is is I don't I try not to impulse purchase so if I see something and I really like it I sit on it I'm like okay I really like it I know where it is they have x amount there think about it for a couple days so I went all weekend all week sorry and I, I kept thinking about how awesome these sunglasses were. And I'm like, oh, they're only $10, regular $50. So I thought about it and I was like, okay, you know what? I can justify it because of blah, blah, and blah. So I went back and got the sunglasses. And then when I was there, I couldn't decide between the two colors. And I bought both of them. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, my God. Here I am preaching about how I, I'm conscientious consumer. <laughs> And I'm like buying two pairs of sunglasses. However, like listeners, I just want to preface this by saying, which is even worse because I do have quite a sunglass collection, but I've had all my sunglasses for multiple years and um, I make sure that I get well-made sunglasses and ones that I know I'll like for a long time. So I can wear them for 10 years without them breaking or going out of style. Like I don't, so I've got yeah, so th- I just had to share that story because that's, I felt so guilty <laughs> after. Oh my gosh, listeners, you have to tell us about your frivolous buys. Yes, I'm please. curious <laughs> after Chelsea's oh two sunglass story. I know. They're so nice. <laughs> okay, listeners, well, definitely let us know about your frivolous shopping. Listeners, we have a special guest today to talk about this documentary with us. It's Anna, who has a podcast called Trunkful of Fridays. If you have not listened to this podcast, you definitely should tune in and give it a listen. The podcast is looking at steps to have a more passionate, purposeful life. So I think it really fits well with this documentary that we watched. So welcome to the show, Anna. I'm so excited to have you on. I love your podcast. So I just want to ask you at first, what made you decide to start your podcast? Thanks, Michelle. I am so excited to be here and especially on this topic. So uh, uh, in 2015, um, so I live in Alberta, Canada, and in 2015, this entire region went through this massive economic downturn just because of energy price conditions and a lot of people were starting to lose their jobs like there were a ton of layoffs and what happened was this uh shift in how people started to act with each other they became extra competitive and a lot of unhappiness and through it i just remember a being very grateful for everything that i did have at that time and also feeling like this isn't the way things are supposed to be. 
if you are constantly stressed by the life that you have, you owe it to yourself to make it better, take some steps to make it better, right? And since then, I made a lot of changes in my life. And I had a lot of younger engineers come up to me asking for mentoring, some coaching on how they can have better careers. But it was all driven towards how can I compete and become better at the competition? And it wasn't about how can I create a career in life that I really love? And the more I worked with people like that, the more I realized, I think there's there's an old version of me in the world somewhere, even if it's just one person who can listen to the journey that I've been on and use it to change their lives. And so I wasn't sure how I would start it or what format I would use. And it seemed like podcasts were becoming more popular or are becoming more popular. And so I decided to start it as a podcast. And the reason I call it Trunk Full of Fridays, it's been a thought I've had for a long time is because I want everyone to feel like every day is a Friday. Because I remember going through that time in my life where I would dread Mondays, absolutely just dread Mondays. And then Thursdays, I would become this really happy, wonderful person. And then Friday was my best day of the week, feeling happy, vibrant, energetic, and then back to my my, you know, this stressed out butt ball of something on a Sunday night. So I wanted to call it Trunk Full of Fridays because every day should feel that way. So that's what I want everyone to have every old version of me out there to have a purposeful, like a happy life that you're doing exactly what you want to be doing and thriving in it. And I think that's fantastic. And I think that's why from listening to your podcast, I thought this would be such a good documentary to talk to you about. So what what did you think about this documentary? I've watched this three times and I it's just on my list always on Netflix for if for if I feel low or need some centering, I'll watch it again. What I love about this documentary is when people t- think about minimalism, they think about a life without furniture, like you just have a mattress on the floor, one spoon, a bowl, and three pieces of clothing, right? That's not what minimalism is, and this show really clarified that. What it is is simplifying your life so you don't surround it by stuff, and you're very thoughtful and mindful of what you do have, and the more you simplify that side of yourself, you create more room to be creative and energetic and things like that. So I just really love all of this. The show has so many different stories, right? A lot of people come in mm-hmm. with their stories, like that lady with the tiny house and and uh, the guy with the finance job who who turned down the big promotion in 2007. So I just, uh, like, th- that's why the show resonates with me. And I myself went on a crazy minimalism, like an extreme minimalism journey in 2006, and then slowly revved back up to a bit more normal. And then today I have a life where I don't buy stuff just to, have it. I don't follow fast fashion. I'm very thoughtful about the things that come into my house and I have a bit of a one in one out rule. And also, you know, I'm a very organized person, but I don't do crazy organization. And when people ask me how I'm so organized, I just say I don't have a lot of stuff. So I don't need to have super crazy systems to be organized. Again, simplifying life so that there's so much more time to do things that you actually want to be doing and not being bogged down with stuff. 
Such a great answer. I really love it. And I love that you've gone on a different journey through minimalism. And now you're at a comfortable place in your minimalism. I really hate that idea that, you know, minimalism has to be you have nothing. I like the idea that no, minimalism fits people depending on what they need and what they want. And that there's no one size fits all idea of minimalism. I think that's really great. And I think like you said, it's thinking about the purpose of things you're bringing into your life and that connects so much with just you know living a purposeful life to begin with and it is a good point when you say it's easier to organize stuff if you don't have much stuff oh yeah (laughs) and I like that you said it's not about having like one chair and two cups because is it is it Josh that has like the one chair yeah (laughs) he had hardly anything in his apartment and I'm thinking okay if I came over to visit you where would I sit yeah right (laughs) and his apartment was really big so it made it even more discombobulated when we went in I was just like you know why do you have an apartment this big then if you're not going to have anything in it like why haven't you downsized your apartment size Where do you put people? I don't know. I was having all of those thoughts as well as Michelle. Anna, what prompted you to make the change towards a minimalist lifestyle? So that's a really good question. Uh, I grew up in a family of hoarders. (laughs) My mom collects everything. Like she has 40 different kinds of measuring spoon sets and like she has this big tub of, you know, those dish scrubber brushes that you that, you know, from Ikea. She has a big tub of those because she wanted to collect them in all colors. So she collects everything. And my dad will never throw anything out. And we lived in a number of different countries growing up. So we were always moving every couple of years. So we had to pack everything, move it to the new country and then buy more stuff and then pack everything and move again. So. When, as soon as I could leave home, I did, which was 2006, and I I got my apartment, and my first job was, I never want to live like that, so I actually went to that extreme version of minimalism where I had nothing. What was really interesting is, I actually felt really self-conscious, because Chelsea, like you were saying, how does Josh have people over when he's got nothing? And I was like that. So I wouldn't have friends over when they'd say, I want to come see your apartment. I, I would make excuses and I wouldn't have them over. And then I slowly sort of realized this is not actually making me happy, even though things are simpler. So I need a few more things. So I had to go through a bit of an adjustment period uh, to really figure out what it is I want my life to look like from a stuff perspective. And I started to realize, you know, what, minimalism is different things to different people. And you have to feel good about it. You have to feel comfortable. This reflects you. So if you're the sort of person who loves just having two spoons and a mattress, that's fine. But if you're the sort of person, and someone in the show even talked about it, if you like having a collection of books, that's fine. But whatever you have has to have a purpose in your life. You have to enjoy having it. And uh, that's where I started to realize that, you know, The other thing that minimalism can really do for me is I can have one handbag because I love handbags. I can have one handbag and make it the best that I can and really enjoy it. I can have one piece of art 
that I absolutely really love and look at it every day and feel thrilled about it instead of having completely bare walls. So I went through that adjustment period and I found my balance and that's how I came to where I am today. Everything that comes in has to be displaced by something that has to leave. And I'm also very conscious about not buying stuff just for the sake of it, as in I will use my toothpaste to every last squeeze I can possibly get out of it. And I won't just replace like my computer is seven years old and I'm completely happy with it. Like I don't need to replace it just because there's newer, more attractive models out there for like I have an Apple iPad Air and it was the first version that not an iPad Air, uh, MacBook Air. It was the very first version, and I haven't replaced it since because I don't need to. So very conscious about things like that, yet I don't feel deprived. I can have people over. <laughs> I have plants. I have animals. <laughs> I have a partner. So those are the things that matter more to me than having a house full of stuff. I love That's that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting you came from a home where they practically hoarded stuff and you went to the extreme opposite. But I think, like you said, when you move countries, you do think twice about how much you have, right, Chelsea? I am just, my mind is blown by the fact that they had that much stuff and they moved countries and they kept bringing it with them. Like the reason why I lead a minimalist lifestyle is because I move countries. (laughs) I'm just like, how did they afford it? What's their moving budget? Who, who do I not know? What am I missing? <laughs> you have it figured out. Uh, it was very hard and I had to help with the packing and it was just a nightmare. And every time we moved, I would just swear to myself, I'm never doing this again. And uh, yeah, so I, I absolutely do not. I reject that life. My mom thinks I live like a bachelor. That's what, that, Those are her exact words. And she says, you're like a guy. You don't have stuff. I'm like, I am completely okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm curious if your minimalism, like you talked about your computer being seven years old and the fact that there are like, you know, fancy new, you know, fangled computers out there, you know, your computer's just fine. Do you at all worry about the environmental impact of not being a minimalist? I do. I all that's an, that's another amazing question. So what my work, my day job is in sustainability, climate change and carbon reduction technologies. And it really worries me, especially like when I think of electronics, you know, there's at least some way of recycling uh, parts of an electronic item. But things that really make me cringe are fast fashion and just people just churning through clothes monthly, sometimes weekly, right? I just can't, that that just makes me cringe because there is a, there are, first of all, a huge environmental impact. There's not enough waste management technologies. And then there's people in the world who can't afford a tenth of that. So all of that combined does really impact how I feel about things like that, how the churn. But we have... I mean, advertising large companies who produce mass produce things like this, their their entire creation is around that consumerism that's not only human nature to want everything that's new and exciting and wanting more all the time, but also that's the business driver. So if there's always a demand for it among consumers, there will always be businesses that supply that. 
So what really makes me cringe is that people will talk about climate change. They'll talk about hurricanes and forest fires and look, it's all being caused by coal and oil. We'll know that's not the only thing. The reason coal and oil and things like that exist is because you are buying and using. So change your behavior, consumer, if you want the world to be a better place. So many of those people that think they're probably fighting for the right thing are then going to Forever 21 and buying T-shirts every other week. And they don't realize that that is actually feeding that whole entire industry and all those issues. You're totally right. Yeah. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I worry I worry a lot about the impact on the environment with our kind of throwaway society. And I remember mm-hmm. a friend of mine said he was he visited the States, not from the States, and he went to a barbecue and and the, no, it wasn't even just a barbecue. The whole time he stayed with his friend there, they ate off paper plates and plastic knives and forks and just threw them out. And he was like, Do you just eat on these all the time? They're like, Yeah, no problem. You just eat on them, throw them away, you don't have to do dishes. Uh, my heart just about skipped a beat. I'm like, what? Like, really? <laughs> That's not really the point. You're just creating more landfill waste. Mm-hmm. But they don't think of it. Yeah. And we don't have, I mean, I imagine when I worry about things like this, I imagine a world where every bit of land has turned into landfill because of the amount of waste we create, right? Yeah. yeah. Unless we become more aware, that's just not going to go away. And I think minimalist lifestyle really enables that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I, I think about that a lot, too. And, and we always have been told, oh, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. And there's all these recycling. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like, we can't recycle fashion. We can't, we're not recycling upwards of 80% of products that are actually recyclable. Do people realize that? Because you have this idea in your mind, oh, I put it in the recycling bin. So it's been taken care of. It doesn't matter how much I'm consuming, as long as I'm consuming recyclable things. And it's like, well, actually, they're not getting recycled, guys. It's not. Yeah. I don't, oh. People don't know that. Oh my gosh. It's a, it's a hidden secret. It's, one of those things of nightmares. I do have to ask you, Anna, because you were saying, and I read this on your website, that you like luxury handbags. So what's your favorite brand? Oh, I have so many. <laughs> um, I think I'm I'm very, very drawn to Chanel. Mm. And the good news is they're very expensive because that means you can't have too many. But also... Um, I, I do belong to the philosophy that find them the best thing that you can afford and then use that to every bit. So I do have a really nice Chanel bag that I use a lot. I mean, that's just like I don't baby it or anything, but I take very good care of it. So I love it so much. <laughs> it sleeps I, in its cloth bag. <laughs> yes, it sleeps in its cloth bag. <laughs> it does actually. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I I love Kate Spade. So I'm addicted to my Kate Spade purses. Not that they're super high end, but I do really like them. They're gorgeous. So I go when we we used to pre-COVID days go to Palm Springs a couple of times a year just for to get away. And they have a there's a, an outlet mall just outside and there's a Kate Spade store. And I spend a lot of time in there just 
feeling things and holding them and stuff. Yeah. I think I'm attracted to them because I like the colors. I like the bright colors Mm -hmm. and they're colorful and fun. So I quite enjoy them. Yeah. (laughs) Very pretty. What do you like, Chelsea? I am a sucker for Roots bags. I love that they're handmade in Toronto by local leather artisans and that they use leather from the same Italian um, tannery that they've been using forever. And it's a family owned tannery. So for me, it's like one of those things. I love that. I love the sustainability of it and that it's local and also really good craftsmanship. I've got bags I've had for 10 years, you know, and I use them all the time. Yeah, I actually started with that was my first big splurge was a roots bag, and you know one of those crossbody ones with pockets. I had that forever. I know. I had to (laughs) retire mine after backpacking, and I'd had it for so long, and it just I yeah I wore it to death. (laughs) They're fabulous, and I think that's the cool thing about high quality, right? You can actually just wear it for a really, really long time, really enjoy it. And then once you're retiring it, you know that you got really good use out of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I agree. All Um, right. Well, thank you so much, Anna. This was great. And again, I just want to encourage listeners to check out your podcast, A Trunk Full of Fridays. Um, I will just add to one of my favorite tips in yours. Well, there's two. I'll be greedy and say two. Um, One was like your second episode where you talk about conserving energy and how we only have so much energy and you should think about what you spend your energy on. And it was just a really good way to think about things like that. Like you don't often think of it the way you put it. And I thought that was really, really helpful. And then the second one was... um, episode six where you talk about the first 90 minute of your day day really sets the tone of your day and I thought oh it's so true although I can't always do all the tips like don't hit the snooze but I try my best (laughs) to set my day up oh boy yeah I know yeah it's a really good episode but yeah so definitely check it out listeners because there's it's not even just about career it's just about having a good overall life and good lifestyle tips and how to be passionate in your life so um thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this topic and hopefully we can have you on again thank you michelle and chelsea this has been so much fun to record this with you and i'm going to keep listening to your episode because i love docutalk and i can't wait to talk with both of you again thank you so much wonderful Thank you. Thank you. So, Michelle, our final thoughts on this documentary. Well, I thought this documentary was really a great reminder to just not buy into our consumerism culture, to think about what you're buying and how much stuff you're filling up your life with that really isn't going to make you happy in the end. And that we only have to please ourselves and not others. So it's not about having the show home or looking in the great and the latest fashions. And I know I've been thinking twice about what I buy since watching this. And I certainly don't see myself becoming a minimalist, but I'm trying to consume less. So I think even if you're not somebody who wants to jump on the bandwagon and become a full-blown minimalist like Josh and Ryan did, it does 
tell us to think a little bit more purposefully about what we're buying and what we're bringing into our lives and just how much stuff we have. Yeah, very well said. I think this documentary was timeless. It was a great message. And even though it was evident that it was a few years old, the message is very relevant today. And I thought it was also very um, serendipitous for me because I really needed that. Like right now in my life, I kind of have been feeling I've been having that pull towards materialism and, and in a very smaller way, not crazy consumption, but I've been more inclined to be like, oh, I want things or I want stuff. But it's like, why? So having being told by Michelle (laughs) to watch this documentary was really good for me. I needed to be reminded of of actually how important it is to be a conscious consumer. I love that they were not about getting rid of all your stuff and not consuming, but Mm -hmm. about removing the unnecessary clutter and purchasing consciously and ethically. I loved when Josh said, he's like, oh, I love consumption. I love consumption, but I only like when it's meaningful consumption. So for me, that was great. And I love that they believe that everyone, um, everyone's understanding and practicing of minimalism is what it needs to be to suit them and that there's not a one size fits all. I love that they had partners that weren't necessarily minimalist, but they were okay with that and they weren't trying to push anything on them. My favorite part of the documentary, though, is when Josh mentioned, if you love books, own books. No one says you have to get rid of them to be a minimalist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> overall fabulous content and it really left me reflecting and considering my life and current consumer choices definitely listeners you definitely have to let us know your thoughts about this documentary and if it's caused you to make any changes in your life I'm very curious because that's always kind of the hope sometimes in these documentaries is to make us think twice about some things but also to hopefully impact our life and our lifestyle and make us think a little bit more about how we're living Mm-hmm. So it was good. Yeah, it was. And if you guys know, have any tips, tricks, recommendations for podcasts or documentaries we should watch about minimalism or just in general, let us know. Absolutely. And you can get in touch with us on Instagram, Twitter, email, Facebook, and I'll put those all in the show notes. Um. So next week... So our next episode is going to be Athlete A. So I don't know if anybody's watched that yet, but a really interesting documentary. So please take a watch of, of that one. And we're going to be talking about that in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so much, Chelsea. And thank you to our uh, guest, Anna, from A Trunk Full was, of Fridays. That was so much fun. Yeah. So I just want to remind people, like Josh and Ryan said, love people and use things and not the other way around. All right, listeners, until next time, we'll see you then. So thank you very much, Chelsea. Thank you, Michelle. Bye, listeners. Bye.